How are you, Alice? Eddie, the great and terrible Eddie Trunk. How you doing? Ter- <laughs> terrible. What did I do that was so terrible, Alice? No, no, no. That was like, you know, the great and terrible Oz, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, this is uh, these sort of things I'm sure have happened in your career over the decades where there's a record that celebrates a big landmark anniversary or what have you. How do you take that stuff? Are you someone who overly gets involved in that and, and reminisces much, or do you always, you always got an eye towards the next thing? You know, it's so funny. I, I do not live in the past at all. I, I, admi- I, I acknowledge it, and I go, oh, really? Because <laughs> somebody will say, you know, it's been 40 years or 50 years since Pretty's for You, and I go, oh. And that's about as far as it goes. You know, uh, I think that I always am thinking about the next project, the next album. You know, with me now, with two bands, with the Vampires and, and my band, I'm thinking about, uh, okay, wait a minute, and we're doing the Corden show uh, next week, and that means I've got to leave the tour for a day and get back. So it's like being in two bands that I haven't got time to think about, you know. As much as I love the album Trash, I thought Trash kind of brought us back into the to public view because it was also coincided with Wayne's World. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't think of that angle of it. And I wanted to actually ask you because I remember when Trash came out and leading into your career, there there were a lot of things that changed for you with Trash. The band, you changed record labels, you worked with Desmond Child. I mean, there was it was a real sort of transitional point in your career, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, the only thing I wasn't going to sacrifice was the fact that it was going to be a guitar rock album, you know, um, and I listened to all of my favorite, all the songs that I was listening to on the radio that I really liked. The name kept coming up, Desmond Child. You know, I was listening to, uh, you know, a couple of the Bon Jovi records that came out. And I went, wow, that's really a good record. And then I heard an Aerosmith record and I went, oh, that's really a good record. And, and all these things had one thing in common. And it was Desmond Child. And I went, well maybe I should, I should work with this guy, Desmond Child, and see what comes out of it. And so when I met him, you know, I said, Desmond, you know who Alice Cooper is, and you know how it works. You know who Alice, you know, the image and the whole thing. I'm a hard rock band. I'm a Detroit sort of hard rock band. But I want the same kind of feel that you get on this Bon Jovi, but I want it darker and sexier. And that's when we wrote, the very first thing we wrote was Poison. And he really got it. He really, really delivered on making it darker and sexier. And that song just jumped up, just jumped on the charts immediately. It was exactly uh, Alice Cooper's version of what was going on right then, you know, in radio. Well, in radio, and you can't understate the impact uh, when you're talking 1989 of MTV at that time, and I remember the video just constantly being on MTV, so it was really the double whammy of getting the radio yeah. support, and then the video, which I don't know at that time, Alice, which led which, because some artists make the case that radio followed MTV very much at that time, too, so it was really the perfect storm of the visual, the video, the song, the production, everything really checked all the boxes. Yeah, you know, we were so used to writing our own sort of script, you know, for Alice Cooper never did kind of follow what was going on in the charts and all that. We just did songs that we thought that we that worked for Alice. And at that point, MTV was so powerful 
And, and it was something so revolutionarily new that I'm sitting there watching it all day going, where are these videos coming from? You know, because <laughs> every day there were six new videos and they were all really well done. And yeah. I said, this fits right into Alice Cooper's visual thing. My thing was always visual on stage. So I said, why can't that transform into video? MTV should be perfect for Alice Cooper. You know, and, and yeah, we got involved in it the way all the other bands did. But I always kind of wanted that, you know, to make sure Alice was not Bon Jovi, that Alice was still the villain, you know. Uh, and so all the, all the videos still had that point of view. Yeah, I always think it's really interesting when you look at artists who had tremendous success in the 70s and how they adapted or didn't in some instances when the 80s rolled around because you had the the big visual component of having to please MTV and you wanted that airplay and all that. And then obviously the changes in sound and you're up against guys that are younger and prettier and, and that whole scene that was happening at that time. Some artists made the adjustment and transition pretty well and some struggled with it and never figured it out. And for you, you know, previous to the trash record you, you were doing you were on mca you had kane roberts as sort of like your right hand guy at that point playing guitar i mean who could right. forget him looking like rambo up there and everything so were yeah. you happy with was that when you look back at that period leading into trash do, do you do, were you happy with where things were going or was it sort of were you stumbling a little bit and trying to find your way because it was a whole new world in the 80s with video and even the sounds that were being made at that time well, you know, the funny thing was, was M every one of these Sunset, you know, uh, Sunset Boulevard bands uh, and Cat House and all that were all extreme Alice Cooper fans. I mean, Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and, um, and Bon Jovi and, you know, all the bands were kind of paying homage in a way to Alice Cooper because this was the first time that they had some sort of vehicle to become theatrical. Before that, there was really no way that they could become theatrical. I think MTV had a lot to do with bringing out that theatricality in those bands. Normally, Bon Jovi wouldn't be, you know, I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a video where for three minutes they could do anything they want. Well, it's very clever. You know, I mean, uh, now Alice was doing this all the time on stage. But they, they, every one of these guys that I talked to that, that were from that Sunset Strip thing were all Alice, you know, aficionados. They knew yeah. everything that I ever did. So I was, kind of the, I was kind of the focal point on a lot of that stuff. And for me to say, okay, you know, it's nice to be the godfather of shock rock, but I'm still in the game and I'm still challenging you all, <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's sort of like I'm the, I'm the old gunfighter, and there's always some kid, punk kid thinks he's faster. <laughs> right. You know, and the thing, the thing, too, is when you look at Desmond Child's contribution to this record, it's there as a writer, as, along with other people, and, of course, yourself on many of these songs. But the difference between what Desmond did with Trash and the other bands that he had worked with prior which he had great success with as a writer, whether it be Bon Jovi, whether it be Kiss, whether it be Aerosmith, all of that stuff. But the difference is he didn't produce any of those records. For you and with Trash, he not only worked as a writer, but he actually 
actually was steering the ship. He produced the record. So talk a little bit about that experience, you know, working with a guy as a producer, you know, so many years with Bob Ezrin and all these other producers that that had to be an adjustment for you as well. I was very surprised at how adept he was at producing. You know, I mean, like you said, he was a, he was a writer. And he's done some stage work, you know, with Rouge, you know. But at the same time, when I said, why don't you produce it? Uh, he was very good with the guitar work on it. He was very good about getting the drums and bass right. Um, and I think being one of the writers, in his head, he could hear what he wanted to hear. And I took him a little darker than he probably normally would go you know, and maybe a little bit more aggressive. But I think he liked that. You know, he liked the idea that this wasn't going to just kind of sit there and sound pretty, but it's going to have some teeth to it. And um, I, I think that's the amazing thing. I, I'm surprised that he hasn't produced more records because he did an amazing job with that record. Uh, I'm surprised that he didn't produce a Bon Jovi record or he didn't produce a, you know, a Kiss or an Aerosmith record because... He was a, that album sounds great. When you listen to it, it's got a great sound to it. Yeah, it really does. Where do you, Alice, where do you personally feel about the record? I mean, how do you, I mean, at the time it was viewed as a comeback record and it sold a couple million copies and you had your first big hit with Poison in a, in a while. But for you, with all the albums that you've made, how do you feel about it, especially looking back on it 30 years ago today? Where do you feel it slots in for you? Do you feel it's among your better records or do you feel it was just one that was sort of right place, right time and, and connected with the scene for what was happening then? Well, you know, that, that is one part of it, that it was the right place at the right time, and it did connect. And we didn't, ex we didn't know what the single was going to be, you know. I mean, John Bon Jovi and I sang on Trash. Steven Tyler and I sang on Only My Heart Talking. You know, uh, Samboro played guitar on it. Joe Perry played guitar on it. And, yeah, it was plugging into what was going on there. But I think I felt every right to do that, you know, um, because I wasn't going to give up on who Alice was in all this, you know, in all this stuff. I kind of gleefully went into it saying, let's see what comes out of this. Uh, I, I, I love a great pop record. You know, um, you give love a bad name. Uh, you know, uh, Janie's got a gun. Uh, you know, uh, I hate myself for loving you. I listen to those records and I go, that is a great pop song. That's a great record. Well done. You know, uh, so I had no problem plugging into that. It, I, of course, it was still going to have the Alice Edge. And that was the one thing I wasn't going to disappoint my fans with. It was still going to have, uh, you know, I think the cleverness in the lyrics and, and a certain amount of threat to it. Yeah, speaking of uh, I Hate Myself for Loving You, there's a song on the record, House of Fire, which is a co-write with you, Joan Jett, and Desmond Child. And that song, to me, when I listen to this record, that song, to me, screams the most Desmond. That that chorus is is almost Bon Jovi-esque, and it's sort of like, you know, even it goes up an oh, octave yeah. at the end and all that. I was like, man, I could hear that being a Bon Jovi song or whatever. And I didn't realize until I looked at the credit that Joan Jett had a piece of that as well. Yeah, we uh, actually, that song was a song that Joan and Desmond had started and never finished. And I came into it, and I, he played it for me, and I went, 
Yeah, let's let's write that. And, and I I rewrote some of the lyrics or something, and I re- rearranged it a little bit, and gave it a little bit of an edge to it. And when I listened back to it, I did kind of laugh. If anything, that was an homage to what was going on in the music business right then. Oh yeah. I didn't hear that as I didn't hear that as a single. Uh, you know, uh, Bed of Nails. Yeah, I thought Bed of Nails was a good single. And I thought that, um, you know, only my heart talking, I thought was going to be a single, you know, and it was, it just, you know, Poison was such a massive hit that it was hard to, hard to find the second single on that album. But uh, in the house of it's exact, it's so Desmond Child that it was almost comical. <laughs> in the 30 years since trash has been out have you ever not played poison live was it ever out of the set for a while no it is as important as schools out in fact i think in some ways it was a bigger international hit than schools out wow because uh, the trash album i think was number one in greece for 26 weeks it was ridiculous i mean some of the european uh, it was number. It was such a big hit all over the world that we do schools out and trash are the two songs we can do where everybody reacts. It, you it mean was, schools out and, and poison? We found out later, we found out later on that was the it was the number one stripper song in the world. <laughs> well, that doesn't suck either. Hey, I don't. I don't have. Uh, I'm out of. Um, my show's going to end in a few minutes. But before I let you go and I run out of time, I want to just hit you with a couple other quick things because you mentioned the Vampires record. I saw the uh, performance you guys did when you did um, the Bowie tune. You did uh, Heroes with oh, yeah, Johnny with, out with, front yeah, on Kimmel. Yeah, on Kimmel, yeah. and I'm like, I'm watching this and like. I'm watching Alice Cooper walking around strumming a guitar, not in front of the microphone. I said, look at this. I had no no clue you would be out there, you know, playing guitar next to Johnny like that. Well, it was uh, the thing I love about the vampires is that I'm I am not the only lead singer in the band. Uh, Johnny sings two songs. Joe sings a song. Tommy sings a song. And I love the fact that I can sit back and just play rhythm guitar on that. And people go, wait a minute, Alice is the lead singer. Oh, wait a minute, no, he isn't. Johnny is on this song. When we first decided to do that song, Johnny came to me and he goes, he said, let's do, uh, let's do Heroes. And I go, I don't know the song. And he goes, well, it's this, and I said, well, why don't you sing it? I said, it'd be great. Why, you know, you sing. And he goes, no, no, I don't sing. And I said, Johnny, you did Sweeney Todd. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. I mean, that was an opera and he did a good job on it. So I said, you sing it. And I think it will have even more conviction if you sing it, because obviously the song is something means something to you. I said, I'll just sit back and play rhythm on it. Cause a very simple rhythm guitar on it, you know? And I said, it'll look really cool on TV. You being the lead singer and me being the guitar player with, with Joe, you know, and it did, it, 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 it opens up, the Vampire Show opens up in the fact that I'm not necessarily the only lead singer in that band. You know, yeah. I love that. I love the yeah. fact that I can stand, that I can, that I'm not the focal point at all times. Because in the Alice Cooper Show, I am. So this to me is a bit of a relief, and it's really cool to be a bar band because that's what the Vampires really are. We're the world's most expensive bar band. 
<laughs> hey, one other last thing, and I know you're on tour with Hailstorm, and you got more dates coming up, and there's so much we can talk about, but I've got like two minutes left here. Speaking of the vampires, so you told me and you've told the world the backstory of the vampires, and it was the drinking club at the Rainbow in L.A. and all that. So I got to tell you, for the last almost year, I've been doing this show once a month from the patio at the Rainbow. We had Joe Perry on. We've had Slash on. We've had everybody. It's been a blast. I go out and do it once a month. One of these days, I've said, since I've been doing it for the year, I said, the guy we need to get out here to do this show with me from the Rainbow, my monthly special, one of these times, is you because you've got all the stories and the vampires were built off of the story of the Rainbow and being up there in that annex. I would be disappointed if you didn't ask me. Um, I would, because honestly, I was there every night with Harry Nielsen and, and sometimes John Lennon and, you know, uh, yeah, Keith Moon and all the guys, uh, Bernie Toppin and Mickey Dolenz. It was a really mixed, crazy mix of people. Uh, Michael J. Pollard. <laughs> and there are so many stories and so many ghosts in that place that, yeah, you need to have me on there. Uh, well, we we've we have it's not like we haven't asked. I know your schedule is busy and you got a lot going on. Uh, we were almost going to try to grab you after Corden next week because I'm actually doing it that night. But they, I know you have a flight out. But we're scheduling wise, we have to make it happen because you're the ultimate guy to do that with me. And every time I sit out there and do it, I go, we got to do this with Alice one of these months. So we'll keep working at it and figuring out a time that it works for both of us because I'd love to have you for it. I guarantee you that we will do it. Okay, I, I promise you. It'll be a good time. We put a live audience out there. We take over the whole patio. We put a stage. It's a great one. And like I said, you kind of inspired it because you told me all those stories. And every time I go up in that annex and I give a little homage to all your stories and the carvings in the wall. So I'm always thinking of you when I'm there. It was the ultimate drinking club. And I mean, (laughs) it it wasn't designed to do that. It just ended up doing that. And it became its own natural force. Well, listen, I appreciate a few minutes. Safe travels. Uh, good luck with the vampires. The new album Rise is out there now. I know you're on tour with Hailstorm. Say hi to the band and, and Lizzie and her band, which they're wonderful as well. And uh, I will see you soon, if not at the Rainbow, somewhere sooner, hopefully. Okay, great. We've got Motionless and Light with us, too. So they're a right. good little band also. But I'll say hi to Lizzie tonight. Very cool. Thank you, Alice. Travel safe. Uh, okay, Eddie. Bye-bye.